Our reading is taken from St. Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The reading ends here. The Alpha Course always provides people an opportunity to, to ask questions about anything and the question that comes up again and again and again is about God the Trinity, how can God be Father, Son and Holy Spirit and when we're thinking about praying, usually someone will ask, which one do you pray to then? And uh, the answer is I'm quite flexible. If I'm thinking with a theological hat on, I pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. In the sense that the Spirit gives me the words to say or all the thoughts and feelings in my heart. I know I have access to God's throne of grace through Jesus Christ. But sometimes I just pray to Jesus. And I'm in good company when I do that. Because one of the earliest Christian prayers in the New Testament is found at the end of 1 Corinthians. It's written in Aramaic. And it says, Maranatha. Which simply means, come Lord. Our Lord, come. It's a cry for Jesus to return in power and glory as Lord to rescue his people and judge the world. One day, Jesus is coming back. And that's something to look forward to. It's part of the Christian hope. Many of you will know that I, I use the Oremus website as part of my daily devotions. And a couple of times recently, it's quoted a hymn by Horatius Bonnard that I've not run across before. The words, at the moment, given... The number of people close to our hearts who've died in recent weeks, they've got a certain poignancy and relevance. Let me read you the hymn. A few more years shall roll, a few more seasons come, and we shall be as those that rest asleep within the tomb. Then, O Lord, my soul, then, 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 O Lord, prepare my soul for that great day. O wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. A few more suns shall set o'er these dark hills of time, and we shall be where suns are not, a far serener climb. Then, O oh my Lord, prepare my soul for that bright day, 
Oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. A few more storms shall beat on this wild rocky shore. And we shall be where tempests cease and surges swell no more. Then, O oh, my Lord, prepare my soul for that calm day. Oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. A few more struggles here. A few more partings are. A few more toils. A few more tears. And we shall weep no more. Then, O oh, my Lord, prepare my soul for that blessed day. Oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. Tis but a little while, and he shall come again, who died that we might live, who lives that we with him may reign. Then, O oh, my Lord, prepare my soul for that glad day. O oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. We have a hope. Whether we see Christ when we die or whether we see Christ when he comes again, we have a hope that's worth holding on to. In Romans 14, Paul says, that's why Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we make him Lord of our lives here and now. We pledge our allegiance to him as Lord. We, we dedicate our lives to his service. We place our lives at his disposal. And in effect we say, Lord Jesus Christ, my life belongs to you now. And when we die, it's not as if Jesus loses control. He thinks, oops, I've lost that one. On the contrary, we have a Lord who has died for us and who rose again from the dead, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. When we die, we, we get to be with Jesus, which is far better, Paul says. We have a hope that we will be reunited in Christ with those who we've loved in this life and who are now lost to us. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul makes this quite clear. He says, as we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so in the same way we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we will be reunited with them to be with the Lord forever. And that hope and that expectation was one of the reasons why the early Christians prayed, Maranatha, Lord come. Our Lord come, we want to see you. We want to be reunited with those whom we've loved and lost. We want you to change this world and bring your kingdom. And it's that event that Paul has in mind when at the start of 1 Corinthians he talks about people eagerly awaiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father as he says in Philippians. That day will be the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a day of salvation and it will be a day of judgment. It will be the day when each of us appears before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our lives. The things we've done, good or bad, during our lifetime in these bodies. I've got my appraisal coming up this week and I kind of figure that that, that day when I appear before Christ, that will be the appraisal to end all appraisals. And it's quite a daunting prospect. We will all be assessed on the basis of how we've put our faith into practice. 
And Paul says, think of your faith as though it were the foundations for the building of your life. Bottom line is, it's your faith in Christ which saves you. That's the basis for our hope. If Jesus had not died for your sin, you would be irrevocably lost. Putting your trust in him for forgiveness and for salvation, that is what saves us. That is what gets us over the line. But the question is, how do you build on that foundation? What building materials are you using? Are you, are you building on that foundation with gold and silver? Or are you just, just building on it with rubbish? Like wood, hay or straw? How are you living for Jesus, the one who gave his life for you? On that day, Paul says, our building materials will be tested with fire. And the rubbish will be burned up. And the quality of our work will be revealed. So he says, build your life on the foundation of Christ with care. Because how you live really matters. And the good news is that God wants to work with you on this. He's not the kind of boss to set impossible targets and then starve you of resources and set you up to fail. No, Paul says. He gives you all the spiritual gifts you need. He will give you the strength you need to make it through to the end so that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ you'll be blameless, free from all blame. I look at the church in Corinth and think, how could he write that about those people? One of the most immoral, problematic churches in the New Testament. And Paul doesn't hesitate to take them to task about some really serious issues later on. But the point is this. When you make that decisive commitment to Jesus as Lord, when you place your life in his hands, then your life belongs to him. And he will keep you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law and the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And Christ commits himself to working with you to make your life the best that it can be because he wants to give you that bonus with your name on it in glory. The one who wholeheartedly gave his life for you wants to help you to live your life wholeheartedly for him. He's given everything for you. He's brought you from death into life. He wants to help you give everything to him and make the most of the life that you have here and now. We're thinking in our Sunday services at the moment about titles of Jesus. And this morning we're thinking about Jesus as Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, the challenge for us all is this day, this day whom will you serve? Who will you make as Lord of your life? Who are you putting in charge? Who are you following? Who dictates how you live and what you do? Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that there are many different lords around in this world. There are many competing things that, that, that want our allegiance, our devotion, our attention, our commitment. In the ancient world, different religious cults referred to their deities as Lord, and there was a growing tendency to refer to Caesar, the Roman Emperor, as Lord. And it would not be long after Paul's lifetime before Christians would be put to death. Because they refused to say, Caesar is Lord. They would only say, Jesus is Lord. But for us today, the question is, who is Lord in your life? Who or what governs who you are and how you live? And now as then, there are loads of different lords around. 
But for us, Paul says, there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ. He's the one through whom all things came to be, and he's the one through whom we live. Jesus is Lord. So why do it? Why confess Jesus as Lord? Why make that commitment? Why give control of your life over to somebody else? I remember, you know, as a young person, teenager, thinking, this is my life. Now, why, why should I hand control of it over it to somebody else? I didn't think much of it, but it was still mine. It's a big commitment to make to say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I've never regretted that decision. And those who've taken that step don't regret that decision either. We thought at the men's coffee morning the other week about St. Augustine, a man who enjoys life. He enjoyed the high life. He enjoyed pleasures. He enjoyed sleeping around. He used to pray, Lord, give me self-control, but not yet. He knew, he knew the best thing for him to do would become a Christian, but he didn't want to. And then one time he heard a child's voice playing in the garden next door, saying, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it, though he had no idea what, what song or game the child might be playing. And there was the Bible. He picked it up and read it. It talked about no more living in drunkenness and partying and dissolution. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the armour of light. Stop living in the darkness. And for him, that was the call to commitment to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. And it's a step that he took and that he never regretted. Because Jesus is a good Lord. He's a good master. He sets us free to live our life to the best that we can. And there is fulfilment in his service. And Paul says in his letter to the Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Because it's with the heart that you believe. And with the mouth that you confess. And scripture says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's an Old Testament verse calling on the name of the Lord, but Paul says that applies to Jesus. Jesus is the name you call on. Jesus is the one who saves you. Jesus is the one who can sort your life out. What does it mean to be saved? <coughs> bottom line is, it means that we're headed for heaven, not hell. Basic bottom line, that's the difference Jesus makes. But here and now, where our lives are spun out of control and we've fallen into destructive patterns of behaviour, we can put our lives back into the hands of the one who died to redeem us and get our lives back on track again. Who can bring his light into our darkness and his peace into our confusion. He can straighten out what we've been made crooked. He can set us back on the right path. And where we are isolated and cut off from human contact, he is the one who enables us to begin to rebuild relationships of love and trust with other people, to begin to open up again, to begin to be human again. And when our time here is done, he's the one who's promised he will give us safe passage through death and out the other side into the light of eternal life in his presence. It's the difference making Jesus Lord makes. That assurance that our lives belong to him every day here and now and for eternity. We don't need to be afraid. And what are Jesus' credentials? Why should we trust him? Well, he speaks and acts for the living God. If you want to know God, you find him through Jesus. Different religions capture different aspects of what God is like, but Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. Because in Jesus, God himself came and lived among us. 
And he revealed God in a way that nobody else has ever been able to do. When he speaks, he speaks with the authority of of God. When you commit your life to him, you commit your life into the hands of God. He alone is able to save us to the uttermost. Because he alone died for you and rose again to be Lord of your life. That phrase, the day of the Lord, which I've used once or twice, that's an Old Testament phrase about God judging the world. But God has given that judgment to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's the one who will be your judge. You need to have him as your saviour. The day of the Lord is his day. And the promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Old Testament that refers to God. The New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the Lord. He is the one on whom you need to call if you want to be saved. He's the one who saves you. Because he's the one who died and rose again to rescue you from destruction. To turn your life around and bring you from death into life. And the life-changing declaration is simply this. Jesus is Lord. Everything else flows from that. Without that, you haven't really made that commitment to what being a Christian is all about. Jesus is Lord. Paul actually says you can't say those words without the Holy Spirit. Because they're powerful, significant, meaningful words. To say Jesus is Lord is to say what linguists call a performative utterance. What you say makes a difference. Makes a difference to who you are. Takes your relationship with God onto a whole new level. It changes everything. Those of you who are married, think about the first time you said, I love you, to the person that you're married to. That, that took the relationship to a new level. They were significant words. It implied a degree of meaningfulness in the relationship that you had. And what about the day when you said, I do? Or, I call upon these persons here present to witness that I take you to be my lawful wedded wife or husband. Those, those are the words that make you married. It's not signing the register. Those words change everything. They are life-changing words. Nothing stays the same when you've said those words. And it's the same when you say, Jesus is Lord. It's a new relationship, a new status. Your life belongs to him now. He's the one you live for. He's the one who promises to shepherd you through every stage of this life and in the life to come. It is an eternal commitment. Jesus as Lord is completely committed to you. He laid his life down for you. You can't get to much more commitment than that. How do you respond to the news that Christ gave his life for you and invites you to give your life to him? We can always say a polite, not today, thank you Jesus. Or maybe today is the day when you will take a deep breath and think, I've been sitting on the fence for long enough. I've been wondering, pondering, thinking about it. Today is the day when I will say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Lord in my life. Lord in my heart. Lord of my future. 
Jesus, today I commit my life to you. Jesus is Lord. Life-changing words. Any of us can speak. And anyone's life can be turned around because he's the one who gave his life for you to save you to the uttermost. So if you want to say that, don't need to, to make a big song and dance about it. You can say it in the quietness of your heart. Jesus is Lord. But if you say that, Share that news with somebody else. So I've just, I've just become a Christian. I want, I'd like someone to pray with me because I've, I've taken that step of saying Jesus is Lord and I don't quite know what it means. We'll be glad to pray with you and talk it through with you. But today, for you, today could be the day of salvation. The day when everything changes because Jesus is Lord. Let's spend a moment in quiet. Jesus, thank you for making God known to us. Thank you that when you died, you died for us. Thank you that when you rose again from the dead, you you rose to be Lord of our lives. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for your grace, which is drawing us to yourself. Lord, some of us want to say, be Lord of my life, of my situation, of who I am and how I live. Lord, I give my life to you. Jesus, be Lord in my heart. And while I can't see what that need, what that will mean in the future, trust that you will work it out for me as I give my life to you.